Welcome to episode 190 of the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping engineers and technical professionals with both their personal and professional development. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano. I'm a licensed professional engineer who practiced as an engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book called Engineer Your Own Success and have traveled the world from Maine to Alaska, believe it or not, and beyond helping engineers. And through this podcast, myself and my co-host, Chris Knutson, try to bring you information that can help you succeed in every single episode. People had their doubts about this podcast taking off, but since inception, we've had close to 2 million downloads and have been cited by Forbes as one of the top 15 most inspiring podcasts for professionals. Here's a short preview of this episode in which I'll be speaking with Christopher Geiger of Lockheed Martin, who is going to talk about how to sustain long-term projects with short-term technology, a common problem in today's world. And to me, the tail is innovation. And what every animal with a tail does is it uses it for balance. You use it to get more agile movement. And when we're doing a project, if you just think of it as cost schedule technical, you may be in a stovepipe and not be seeing the creative things you can be doing. You have to pull your head up and say, you know what, I'm gonna use innovation, not just as me personally innovating in engineering, but how I innovate a project. My co-host Chris and I both believe that in order to be the best engineer you can be, you must consistently get better. Get better at your craft, your people skills, and as a leader. And that's why we publish this free podcast to help you do just that. In this episode, you'll be listening in on a conversation between myself and Christopher Geiger, Engineering Director of Lockheed Martin, on a pretty interesting topic that we haven't talked about much here on the podcast, which is building long-term projects, right? We're building all of these long-term projects, and Chris, he deals in the aerospace industry. So you've got these projects that you want to last for many, many years, but our technology never lasts that long. It's so short term. They build something today and it's obsolete tomorrow. So how do you deal with that challenge? And Chris does exactly that. As a creative and diplomatic thought leader, Chris is known for fostering cross-disciplinary innovation via customer relationship building, conflict management, transformational organizational development emerging leader cultivation, and public and media communications. Chris thrives on complexity and ambiguity, rapidly developing and implementing original strategies in driving productivity, profitability, and customer satisfaction. Those are some pretty important things. Chris will be a keynote speaker at the upcoming IEEE Computing and Communication Workshop and Conference in Las Vegas. You could check out the website at IEEE-CCWC.org. That'll be on January 7, 2019. He's going to talk about what the future holds for aerospace and defense sustainment information systems. He's also going to tell us how he used data to convince his management to actually build a Starbucks in their building, which is interesting. All right, so before we jump in with Chris, this is a free show and our sponsors help us to keep it free. So please support our sponsors. Now I'd like to recognize our sponsors for this episode. Firstly, we have PPI and I'd like to recognize them by asking you this question. Are you thinking of taking the FE, PE or SE exam next year? 
Stay tuned for my recommendation on the best prep courses available for the licensure exams. Best of all, they're currently $500 off during PPI's early bird registration period. For more information about this amazing deal and how you can make career advancement a reality next year, listen up later on in this podcast. I would also like to recognize and welcome a newer sponsor to the podcast, WPI. We talk a lot about developing new skills and broadening your knowledge base. As one of the first science and technology universities in the U.S., Worcester Polytechnic Institute has supported that for over 150 years. Choose from graduate degree and certificate programs in robotics, data science, power systems, mechanical engineering, biotechnology, systems engineering, and more. They're all available 100% online, and we thank them for their support of the show. Now, let me bring you into the main segment of our show with a quote that is applicable to today's topic from Warren Bennis, and it goes as follows. Success in management requires learning as fast as the world is changing. All right, now I'm excited to welcome Chris Geiger, Engineering Director at Lockheed Martin, to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Chris, welcome. Hey, thanks. I'm glad to be here. So I met Chris at a conference down in Florida this past August. He was the speaker right ahead of me, so I sat in on his talk, and it was really interesting, so much so that I went up to him you know, right afterwards and asked him if he could come on the podcast, and glad we made it happen, Chris. So to get started, why don't you just Give our audience a little bit of an idea. Obviously, Lockheed Martin is a decent-sized company. So give us an idea on your roles and responsibilities in Lockheed. So again, I'm an engineering director, but there's an awful lot of those right at Lockheed Martin. So it's a bit of a unique role that I have. I'm down in Orlando, Florida in uh, Enterprise Sustainment Solutions. And when you think of Lockheed Martin, you often think of our platforms, whether it's a Sikorsky helicopter or one of our fighter jets or transport aircraft or space missions. Those really out there, things that are platforms that you can name, right? Well, my organization sustains those things. So we're a little bit in the background, right? We're not going to be the ones that are in the advertisements. But whenever an organization uh, around the country with Lockheed Martin engineers develops a platform, there's then multi-decades of sustainment of that, whether it's the information systems, the testing of it, all the supply chain, and that often comes to Orlando and my group. So I have engineers that are dedicated to sustaining all of these cool things that Lockheed Martin does. That's cool. And if you're listening to this and you're either very interested in that or very confused about what Chris just said, either way, you don't have to worry because we're going to dive into it. So Chris, let's talk about innovation because when you spoke at the conference, innovation was definitely one of the themes of your talk. Talk about how innovation is important to what you do. And that's a question I sometimes get, even from new engineers. So I might hire a new engineer out of college, and they've come to Lockheed Martin, and I say, okay, you're going to do sustainment. That might not have been you know, the hottest thing in their mind, right? Uh, the furthest you know, into the cutting edge of technology. But it really doesn't take very long to convince them that you can innovate anywhere. And I'm sure your engineers that are listening that work throughout different types of engineering, we're not all on the cutting edge, but we all have a chance to innovate at least every week, I would say. So how I would explain that to a new engineer, and our, my senior engineers now just start to do it for me, is that you know we often think of project management as like a three-legged stool, and you don't usually tend to innovate when you're in the middle of a project. So you know you're halfway through a three-year project, you have 
cost schedule and technical. I know in engineering, we tend to call the third one technical in a general project. You might call it quality. But I really like to kind of twist that up and say, no, we're not going to talk about that three-legged stool that a normal project management course would teach you. Let's go with an iguana. And down here in Florida, we do have iguanas. And uh, you look at an iguana, you immediately start thinking about the project management differently. Because a stool, when you say a three-legged stool is project management, that's a pretty static thing. You know, it sits there, doesn't move a lot, and technology doesn't stand still. It doesn't sit around. It's not a stool. It's more like an iguana. An iguana has four legs, right? And I really think you have to add quality and technical in there. So it's cost, schedule, quality, and technical. There are four legs. But then if you see an iguana, about half that iguana is the tail. And to me, the tail is innovation. And what every animal with a tail does is it uses it for balance. You use it to get more agile movement. And when we're doing a project, if you just think of it as cost, schedule, technical, you may be in a stovepipe and not be seeing the creative things you can be doing. You have to pull your head up and say, you know what, I'm going to use innovation, not just as me personally innovating in engineering, but how I innovate a project. And in sustainment, that can happen all the time, just like it can in development of a new platform, of a new project that you have in any discipline of engineering. Yeah, I think that's great because when you frame things like that, because in the world that we live in today, that's very fast moving. I mean, in your world, you're dealing with big, complex projects, lots of high budget involved, lots of moving parts. And when you have something like a four-legged iguana or a phrase or a term like this that you can use to simplify things, at least in your own mind, it just seems to make things easier. Like if you have engineers that are working on a project and they start to get overwhelmed and they can visualize something a little bit more simple that they can then act on, I think it's very helpful. And I try to do that here as well with our team is let's not get too overwhelmed and too caught up in all these intricate things. Let's take a step back and just think of it as the 30,000 foot view, I guess, is what I'm getting at. It kind of helps you to balance things because I think one of the things that's challenging for today in engineering projects is they are complex. There's a lot of different ways to communicate these days and people can get very overwhelmed. And so I feel like you've found a way to at least, I'm not saying you're simplifying the projects, but sometimes if you simplify the mindset and the approach, it could definitely help people. So Chris, you're talking about sustainment, which is something that is obviously important when you work on such long-term projects like yours. One of the challenges, of course, is the long-term sustainment of projects with this technology that is changing almost by the minute. Talk about that challenge a little bit and how you deal with that. That is probably our bread and butter of the main sustainment challenge, right? Innovation doesn't have to be disruption. It needs to be a balance, like you said. Some of the airframes that we're supporting, like, uh, for example, the U-2, the B-52, these are storied airframes. They've been around since the 1950s. A lot of them are slated to fly through 2040. So when you think about that and the, the lifespan of an aircraft, it's pretty amazing and pretty daunting. And the people who are maintaining the submission systems on those aircraft, they have quite a challenge. My challenge is one step removed, and that's I'm trying to keep support equipment working for that kind of a lifespan. So that's test equipment, the cooling cart, all the things that you roll up to an aircraft afterwards or you use to test the avionics to make sure it's ready for flight afterwards. You can imagine how that's really changed. So in the 60s and 70s and 80s, things were moving and they weren't moving as fast as they are now. When I update something, like we'll say we'll do a midlife upgrade on things, 
it's really almost a misnomer now because you don't just do it midlife, <laughs> right? It used to be you had to either do it once in the middle of a lifespan, and now you have to do it, you know, say every 10 to 20 years. One example is the Navy, you know, in partnership with uh, Lockheed Martin, consolidated their test equipment on carriers because they found that all the special test equipment that they needed for all the different airframes and the avionics boxes was starting to just fill up way too much space, right? It was never going to fit on the aircraft carrier. And to sustain it was nearly impossible. So the last few decades, they've worked with us on programs called CAS and now ECAS to consolidate those. They've saved billions of dollars by uh, really harmonizing across that. But then it actually brought in almost probably a third thing, which is I really see it's more than a a two-speed technology lifecycle issue. It became like a three-speed technology lifecycle issue because your platform could last 40 years or plus. Your support equipment could last 20 years plus. And the underlying technology, your circuit cards are lasting maybe two years, you know, in production, maybe three or four. And the key is to be backwards compatible. But, you know, your customer always says, wait, it has to be backwards compatible. That's an absolute requirement. But I don't want to fence off that new technology I'm getting. You know, when you get a new phone, you get a new computer, you also get new things with it. So it has to be perfectly backwards compatible to test that avionics that was designed in the early 70s, say. But I also want that new radar capability because there's a new fighter jet coming out in a few years and I'll want to use it for that too. So there's both things. As you sit here and talk about this stuff, Chris, what I think is amazing to me is that in the world that we live in of like this instant gratification, to think about anything lasting for 40 years is amazing to begin with. So for you to have to balance that with these two-year technology turnovers or quicker, I can't imagine how challenging that is for you and your team and must just really keep everybody on their toes. I mean, it's just challenge. I don't know how else to say it, really. It is. And I actually think it's a problem I'm going to share with more people soon, right? Because we've been throwing away our phones every couple of years. Uh, you know, your iPad doesn't last but a couple of years and it won't go to the latest iOS, right? But we're now with IoT kind of revolution, having refrigerators and other durable goods that in your house you expect to last 10 years plus. But now they're embedded with consumer technology that's the same as in your phone or even throwaway type technology. And we're going to have this problem. Cars are the same way. It's not too unusual to see a car 20 plus years old driving around. Well, in 20 years from now, if you buy a car now, well, there's 20, 30, 40 computers in it. And they're doing all kinds of different things. And they're all going to have to be upgraded constantly. It's a whole new world. Uh, Maybe unfortunately, a lot of engineers are going to join my problems here. Well, let me tell you something. I was just talking to my neighbor randomly, and she told me that she bought one of these really expensive refrigerators that have all these different features in it. And it hasn't really been that long. And I guess one of the components on it went, and the company was like, we can't get that component anymore. We're going to have to like look at getting maybe a new fridge or something. Meanwhile, now she's like weeks without a fridge. So to your point, these things are great and they can do a lot more things, but it can also create some complications when the technology can't keep up with the lifespan of the rest of the project or the rest of the component. You're right. And things that Lockheed Martin and other defense integrators have done over the years when we've run into these things, probably maybe a little ahead of the commercial industry uh, in this area, is you have to have interface definitions and in some cases standards. If you make that spaghetti code or in this case a spaghetti system, that's just not going to work. Because if one part goes bad, you can't replace it. It's totally embedded in the system. And without that, it's not going to work. What you have to move to is a modular system of systems. And when you do that, then traditionally, things tend to get physically smaller. 
as time goes on. And you can often have something that's smaller goes in there and it may look radically different. This gets to that creative innovation part. It may be doing it with an entirely different technology. It just needs to fulfill that function. And you think of a system and it could be a refrigerator, right? When my world, it's more, you know, a defense product. All engineers have to think in that modular way now because their items aren't going to be thrown away. I just want to give Chris a quick break here and take a minute to recognize our sponsor for this episode. This episode of the Engineering Career Coach Podcast is sponsored by Worcester Polytechnic Institute. With graduate degree programs available part-time and 100% online, WPI gives you the skills that will make you more in demand in any job market, all without taking a break from your career. It's the same experience as on campus, same world-class professors, same top-tier education, but engineered to fit your schedule. Visit go2.wpi.edu slash TECC to explore more than 15 of their most popular graduate degree programs in science, technology, and engineering. That's go2.wpi.edu slash TECC or click the URL in our show notes. If you've been thinking about grad school, if you're wondering how you can stay up to date on the most current trends and innovations without dropping everything, your next step starts with WPI. I want to switch gears for a minute. And one of the questions that I get a lot from engineers is they're always thinking about working for a large company or a small company, different sizes of companies. Lockheed Martin is, of course, a very well-known company and very successful. A lot of engineers work there. and I know they have very good careers there. What is it like working for such a large company? I'm sure it depends on your office, on your team, because you may be in a small team in a large firm. What could you say about that? There are certainly things you have to consider, right? Working at a small or a large company. But what I've found at a large company, at least, which is certainly my history, right? My understanding that I can talk to is that you still in some ways can choose between that culture. And even large companies need entrepreneurs. I get it. At a small company, you may do everything and have that capability. You may do that at a big company. It's just, as you mentioned, you're on a small project. At my site, there are over 2,000 engineers, but there's over 600 projects. So it's not as if 1,000 of them are working on one project. The benefit, really, that I've found is you move rapidly from thing to thing. And uh, I don't think it takes away from a small firm, but at at a very large company like Lockheed Martin, the opportunity is almost endless. Like I was mentioning the kinds of platforms we do. So I may be working on a training simulator for a fast jet for a pilot. And then, you know, that project winds down and I go, you know what, I'm going to go work on a a cyber capability to do testing of new cybersecurity things. And then that winds down and you move on to something completely different. And it gives you that toolkit to think in system engineering. I really feel like that's probably one of our main strengths is you look at everything like a system. For lack of a more formal term, I think at some of these larger companies, you work on really cool projects, right? You get to work on, like you just explained, like nothing against small companies because I worked myself for several years at a very small company and I did do a lot of different things and I think it was helpful for my development, but I also didn't have the opportunity to work on some of the really large type of industry, high profile type of projects that have some really interesting components to it. There's a balance. I mean, you could go back and forth all day, but I just wanted to get your insight since you do work, obviously, for Lockheed, which is a large large company. So let's switch gears one more time, Chris, because when we talked at the conference, you gave some interesting examples about 
this Starbucks that you kind of helped to get into your building at, at Lockheed. Maybe you could tell us that story. Yeah, and the talk this summer was about engineering project management can seem like a pretty boring topic sometimes, right? And you can go read the book on it. You think you're good. But I always try to, like I mentioned at the beginning, try to inject some innovation and things. And we often, as engineers, bring high tech to our products or to our users. But we don't always look in the mirror and apply it to how we operate ourselves. So how we do the, go through the development process or how we go to day-to-day things. And uh, I mentioned, you know, the I- Internet of Things, the IoT, recent, a little bit ago. And I started thinking, well, what about an Internet of Engineers, right? We have a lot of data, just like you get off of other devices from sensors. We have a lot of data on our people, but we don't always use it the same way that you do in, say, social media or in your product to make sure you can improve it and sustain it better. So you get data from engineers, but if you don't use it, then you're not any better off. We all use the same taillight metrics to follow projects. Well, if you want headlight metrics, maybe you should measure things. And it's not to uh, focus down onto one individual, you know, and say, Bob, we noticed that you're surfing the web 15 minutes a day. It's more if you aggregate this across teams, especially with large teams, I would assume it's, it's much more important. You can tell what's going on, right? So if your team's working a lot harder, working at night more, if your team comes in a little later, if their human machine interface, their, uh, their mousing and their typing has different patterns than they used to, can you infer something from that? And yeah, an example I gave was in, in our plant, there's a canteen, we call it, right? Uh, basically a little shop in the middle of the plant. It's a very large facility. You know, thousands of people work there. There's over 2,000 engineers. And then you can imagine all the support people and everybody else. There's also manufacturing there and, and everything else. So it's a very large place, but everyone had to walk to this canteen to get coffee. So if you could be um, basically a mile away from the canteen and you would have to get up off your desk and walk there with data, you can quickly find that if you have, say, 700 engineers in a project on the second floor of the building that's far away from this, that would cause a noticeable productivity issue. But you wouldn't really see it unless you looked at the data. We have some large projects like that, and we realize that the capital expense of putting in a Starbucks literally right at the entrance to that part of the building would save us a lot of time, would save that project. And to be honest, the engineers would love it too, right? So everybody wins something like that, right? Everyone loves it. It's there. It's more convenient. And your project just got more efficient. That's an example that works at a very large site. But I don't want people to think, well, that my 3,000 person site will do that. I think people should take that down to teams of 10 and think to yourself, how do I get some data off of this team, whether it's big or small, you can start small. And then how do we work better using that data? The same way you think about your product, think about your team. Well, just to go a little deeper on that. So how did you get the data? Were you just measuring people's working patterns or? So we're a pretty agile organization these days. And so we keep pretty good track of, uh, efficiency from the different functions and individual small teams. And agile teams are usually pretty small. So we're collecting data that's on a daily, hourly basis from engineers and getting efficiency across different types of coding, different types of integration and test and hardware engineering and all of that. And there's also, like I mentioned, kind of the the next step, which is to use human machine interface types of data. And that can get kind of proprietary, but I don't know of a commercial product that helps you aggregate that yet, honestly. But, you know, as that moves on, I think that even just basic things in Windows operating system can start to aggregate that. So, Chris, what's the biggest challenge in your job day to day? So there's a huge diversity of things that I run into. It's not a job that I go in and I say, well, our 
you know, my company always does this. I get a call all the time from a part of Lockheed Martin I may not have heard of before. <laughs> and they go, hey, we're going to do X. Can you sustain it? And I have to go, sure. And let's figure out how to do that. And that's pretty exciting. We've come up with frameworks and, you know, and partnering with the DOD of how you sustain a system. Because a lot of people, when they invent something, the furthest thing from their mind, right, is how do you maintain it? <laughs> well, how is it going to work in five to 10 years? And so they often really appreciate that we come in and say, we get it. You guys are the geniuses on to make this platform work. We're just going to follow up and make sure that it, it works right for your customer in the long term. But that really is not the same every day. So there's a lot of like interaction that you have to go with other people and other groups when you're doing your job, because I guess you would have to un really understand their project to be able to sustain it. Absolutely. If you get a call at the end of a project, it's a pretty bad situation. You have no way to help shift them in early stages to make it much more sustainable. And, and you can think of all the different examples, you know, why use 10 screws when you could use four screws, right, to hold something in. May not seem like a lot to manufacturing, and oh, they are going to complain. But man, think of the maintenance for the next seventy years. Think of all that time you're going to waste. So, with just a little bit of sustainment help in the beginning, a normal platform, about seventy percent of the cost is in the maintenance. You know, you hear about these high dollar items for, like, say, an aircraft. Oh, it's this many millions or tens of millions. Well, guess what? The maintenance of that, right, for the next forty, fifty, sixty years, it dwarfs that purchase number. So, if you can do something in design. That's going to reduce the cost of sustainment. That is always a good dollar to spend. So Chris, in terms of your own career, like your own professional development, skill development, et cetera, in your job, what is it that you need to improve? In other words, you're dealing with different types of projects on a regular basis. Really what you're focused on is the sustainment. In your world, like you, your people, what do you have to stay up to date on in terms of training? It's probably not too dissimilar from everyone else in that you have to keep up with what's going on in the, the commercial world at the cutting edge. And I mentioned data earlier. You know, if I'd have my head down just sustaining things and not thinking of where the commercial world outside of DOD statement was going, you wouldn't have caught on to, well, look at the amazing things that are happening. People are spending billions of dollars in research in uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence. And I think we can all, I don't care what your engineering discipline is, there's part of that that has an effect on you. There's part of it that you can use. And if you're not thinking that, if you're thinking, well, that's only for Silicon Valley or that's only for an app that goes on my phone, you're missing out on how it can affect you. That's, I think, what I have to do, not just myself, but like you said, like the team and every engineer is to say, what 30 years ago did we come upon that now we use and it's just routine? Well, what's that for today? And make sure you reframe it that way. Yeah, that's really interesting because when someone says to me, like, I work on sustainment, I wouldn't really understand what that meant until you explained it to me on this episode here. And now I have a really good understanding of it and why someone would need to do that and the challenges in terms of helping to sustain a project for a long term and keep, and even though the technology is going to change many, many times before the duration of the project is over. So it is very crystal clear why people do what you do. It's just, trying to understand the different skill sets that go into it. And it seems like really in a job like yours, it requires many different skill sets, which is probably part of what makes it kind of fun and challenging, like you mentioned, which is great because I think that keeps you sharp. You're absolutely right about all the disciplines. We have all the same disciplines as a development shop. We're just looking at it from a slightly different direction. All right. So once again, we're speaking here with Chris Geiger from Lockheed Martin. 
hang around because Chris is going to come back with us here in a minute. We're going to finish up with the Take Action Today segment. We're going to talk about how you can start to be more innovative or think more about innovation in your career. Now it's time for the Take Action Today segment of the show where Chris Geiger from Lockheed Martin is going to stick around here and help us to wrap this one up with a couple of last pieces of advice. But before we get to that, we do want to thank our sponsor for this episode once again, PPI. All engineers know that one of the best ways to advance in your career is to get licensed. Why not make getting licensed one of your resolutions for 2019? The perfect way to ensure that you are fully prepared for the exam is to take a prep course. PPI offers the most comprehensive and supportive prep course program out there. And right now, all PPI prep courses are $500 off. Yes, you heard that right. All PPI prep courses are marked down by $500. Don't let this deal slip by. It ends on December 6th. Make a commitment to getting licensed in 2019 and enroll in a PPI prep course today. Visit ppi2pass.com to learn how you can enroll in a prep course for the FE, PE, or SE exam and take one step closer to career advancement. That's PPI, the number two, pass.com. All right, we're back with Chris Geiger from Lockheed Martin. Chris is an engineering director, and he's talked to us today about really about innovation. He talks about sustainment. He works on sustaining projects for the long term, dealing with the short term technology in between. So Chris, listeners listen to this podcast. I'm sure they found it really interesting what you do because it is interesting and it is challenging and there's some great points that you brought about. But now they're going to finish listening to this podcast and kind of walk away and we want to kind of help them to be more innovative in their own careers, whatever discipline they're in, whether they work for a five-person company or 50,000-person company. What are some things that you can leave them with, some thoughts you can leave them with to think in a more innovative way in their careers? I think it's probably um, a challenge I can put out there that if if the guy who does sustainment can think about the cutting edge and innovation, then you don't have an excuse not to either, right? It really means every person has to take it personally. You can't assume it's somebody else's job to do innovation. And so whatever your discipline is, it could be structural or civil or in my case, electrical. You can't put your head down and say, I'm just going to innovate in this little area. That might happen once or twice in your career. Instead, if you're always looking up and around and saying, how as a team of engineers, what else is happening in other disciplines? How do I bring that to my area? Then you're going to be innovating every week because there's constant innovation in all those other areas and your peers and your function are going to go, wow, where did you get that idea? So keep your head up, look at the other functions. And if I can do it, you can too. That's great advice. And I think that can really span across all engineering disciplines in that If you can think about your clients or your stakeholders or other disciplines in your own company and how they operate and what they need, you'll just do your job better. I interviewed a gentleman named Nick DiNicolo on our civil engineering podcast, who is the CEO of Mott McDonald, a 15,000 person plus company. And he talked a lot about people. And when he was saying they do a lot of water projects, he was saying, you know, think about your client's customer which is a really good way to put it. Like if you're serving a municipality, you're designing a water system for them. Don't think about your client being the municipality. Think about the citizens that are actually going to drink the water because that can force you to be innovative. That can force you to think about from the customer's perspective and how they're going to 
experience the project. So I think Chris brings out a good point. And when you're on a project and you want to be innovative and you want to keep up with the technologies, think about all the parties involved and how what you're doing can be done in a way that will benefit all of them. Chris, listen, thank you so much for taking some time out. I know you're very busy sustaining a lot of big, important projects. So I really appreciate you coming on the show and spending some time with our listeners here. Yeah, thanks, Anthony, and thanks to everybody out there. I hope you enjoyed the episode today with Chris. He's a bright guy, and he's doing really cool things, and I was excited to get the chance to speak with him about it. Before I let you go, I do want to let you know that our Engineering Management Accelerator online workshop is going to a do-it-yourself version. We do the workshop several times a year live. It's a five-week online workshop for engineers aspiring to be managers. We do help you with their communication skills, your productivity skills, your relationship building skills, and we even teach you how to delegate effectively. However, many listeners have said they don't have two or three hours a week to get on the live calls and work on assignments. So you know what we did? We recorded everything and we put it in one spot for you. And now you can purchase the workshop and do it yourself and still have access to a live group coaching call where you can ask myself or other coaches questions. All the information will be posted on the website at engineer2manager.com. That's engineer2manager.com as of December 2018. Once again, hope you enjoyed this one. We'd love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. Go to engineeringmanagementinstitute.org and look for episode 190 of the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in the episode as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. And please continue to engineer your own success. The strategies that you heard in this episode will be of no use to you unless you take action and start to implement them in your career immediately. To help you do that, we have designed a system that you can use at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. It combines live monthly webinars with PDHs, plus a private forum giving you access to coaches and premium content focused on helping you build your management and leadership skills. Join us for our next live webinar at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org, and we'll help you engineer your own success.